When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland is coming up here shortly as well. Uh, and we are talking about the Browns preparing to hire Jim Schwartz as their defensive coordinator. Uh, they, of course, at this point have not made the move official, but it's just a matter of time uh, until that does happen. Uh, like I said, coming up after the break, Lance is really going to dig into to what he's seen from Jim Schwartz's scheme. Uh, do what he does best. He is a teacher, so he's going to teach us all about Jim Schwartz. Uh, but here we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about the impact Jim Schwartz can have on this defense. Mary Kay, um, you know, you had written on Monday that, you know, after the Browns completed their interview with Sean Desai, that you thought a coordinator hire was coming soon. It obviously is happening now. What was your reaction to Jim Schwartz being the the guy that they chose? You know, I really thought it was going to come down to him. And the only way I thought Sean Desai could have gotten it is if he absolutely had knocked their socks off yesterday because Jim Schwartz has so much experience as a coordinator, as a head coach. And the other thing I, I thought was that Brian Flores was still getting interview requests. So in my mind, I just didn't, even though he was still in the mix all the way up until at some point last night, apparently. Uh, I just didn't really think it was going to come down to him. Uh, so there was a part of me that thought, well, it's got to be Jim Schwartz if they're doing it as early as today. And as I wrote, as you mentioned yesterday, that uh, they could do it as early as today. So wasn't really surprised about it. Uh, the only sort of little um, twist in there, I think, would have been if they just had decided to go young, new, uh, and, you know, somebody a little bit different in, in Sean Desai. He would have brought a different spin to the table. But I really think that uh, that they had to go on the safer, more experienced side with what happened to them uh, with the, this defense this year, with the discipline issues that they have, with the sort of splintered defense that it was. Uh, you know, guys are not going to get away with things under Jim Schwartz that they got away with last year. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, Ashley, what, what was your reaction? And I know you just put up a story right before you hit record here. What Your reaction to Schwartz getting hired? Yeah, my initial reaction, which like that story you alluded to, is what I wrote about. Um, it just seems like he fits the bill for a lot of these things that like we've been saying this defense need and or like what players have been saying this defense needs. So I think you look at number one, like Mary Kay said, the discipline issues. You know, Jim Schwartz has been around 30 years in the NFL. He got his start with Bill Belichick. Like she said, there's no way some of this stuff is going to fly. I think he brings a different gravitas with him. I talked about this on the radio too last week, I think. Just because of his career and how he got his start and how he has a pattern of turning these defenses around. So that's number one. Number two, he's kind of become known for his run defenses as well, right? I know, Dan, you wrote about how he's turned around defenses before in particular run defenses, and he'll have a chance to do that here again, obviously. 
Um, and the other part, it's really interesting. I mean, I know you talked with Lance a lot about his scheme, but with that wide nine scheme, it seems like it just sets up guys to really be able to go after the quarterback and make plays. And when we heard from players after they fired Joe Woods, this thing kept coming up where they were saying sometimes it felt like we were almost being too tricky and trying to trick other teams and in the process tricking ourselves in a lot of ways um, that it all just became too confusing. And he seems like a guy who you're going to learn that system. You're going to stick in that system, but it's going to give guys a chance to get one-on-one matchups and make plays. So I think all of that is really important and it kind of fits what players were talking about last week on getaway day. Okay, so Mary Kay, I want to circle back to something we we've all kind of made the points here at the discipline and like you know Ashley was it you that said the word gravitas who was it I want to give credit okay Ashley using the word gravitas here I think that's I think that's really important here um, Kevin Stefanski basically hired a second head coach like a head coach for the defense and to me it's like I mean we talked about it on one of the parts of the Hey MK pod. I'm not sure if it was the part that made it or if the part that is the part that's still sitting on my computer right now is we've had to reschedule some things. But this idea that when Jadavion Clowney decided to only play third downs against Baltimore, the only thing that really happened to him was he had to sit the next game for a series. And there were certain people that that would have never flown. I feel like Jim Schwartz fits into that category. Just him being Jim Schwartz, having done this for so long, having won a Super Bowl, it just, that carries, like he gets to walk into that building and kind of just be like, hey, I'm Jim Schwartz. We're, we're going to do this thing my way on the defensive side, whether you guys like it or not. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way that uh, something like that would fly under Jim Schwartz. As you mentioned, he's not only been a coordinator for 14 years, he was a head coach for five years. So he knows exactly what Kevin Stefanski is going through. I think he'll be an invaluable resource for Kevin Stefanski. He'll be a good sounding board for him. Kevin can just forget about the defense. He doesn't have to worry about it. I mean, he does, you know, he, you know, the buck stops at his desk, but he does not have to be worrying about what is going on over there on that side of the ball because he has enough on his plate. He has to get Deshaun Watson up to speed and have him playing like the three-time pro bowler that he is. Uh, he's going to be revamping an offense. He doesn't need to worry about is Perry on Winfrey, you know, showing up on time for a, a practice or something like that. He, he doesn't have time for that. Uh, so Jim Schwartz is going to, you know, bring a no nonsense brand of football. You know, he, um, you know, he comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Really, he was a scout here uh, for the most part under Bill Belichick. But, uh, you know, he learned the Belichick way early on and credits him with the career that he has had in the NFL. He's probably still close to Nick Saban, too. So he's got that whole Belichickian type of pedigree to him. And uh, and I think that he will bring the exact kind of discipline that these guys need. You, you know, you're not going to mess around with with Jim Schwartz. He'll get in your face. He'll do whatever he has to do uh, to make sure that these guys are falling into line. I don't think we'll see some of the things that we saw this past year. You know, I have to wonder if Jadavian had tried to do under Jim Schwartz what he did last year in terms of not going onto the field on first and second down. What would the punishment have been? Would he have still even been on the team after that, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I think it would have been a lot worse than than what actually happened. You would never do that uh, to, to Jim Schwartz or Bill Belichick or a Nick Saban or any of those guys. 
So I think, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you're going to see a new era, a new brand of, of culture on that side of the ball. And I, I really think it's what's needed. Yeah. I mean, Ashley, there's just something to be said about, like Mary Kay said, this guy's been a head coach. This guy's been a coordinator forever. He doesn't have a lot else to accomplish in his career. You know, I don't know if he wants to be a head coach again. I don't know if that's his goal at some point down the road is to get one more shot as a head coach, but like he's kind of got nothing to lose. So if he wants to walk into Andrew Barry's office and say, listen, AB, we got to get rid of Jadavion Clowney because he only played on third downs. Andrew's kind of got to listen, at least yeah. at least listen, whether he actually does it or not. That's another thing. But he has to at least listen to him. And I think it's important because, like, we talked about so much last week on Getaway Day and, and with the Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski press conference about culture. And it just feels like they need to bring in somebody different to shake that up at this point. Like, you can't just run it back the way it's been here the last few years and expect something to change. And you think about Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry's demeanor, like they're very similar to me. And a lot of these guys on Kevin Stefanski's staff, you know, he coached with in Minnesota or had relationships with like everyone is very, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but they're just like very similar to one another. And I do think you can benefit from getting more like diverse voices into this room in terms of communication style, in terms of, discipline style in terms of outlook on the game, um, career experience. So I just think all of that is really important. And like you said, he doesn't have anything to lose. So why not speak your mind while you're here? And I'm sure he's done that throughout his career. When you look at some of these numbers of the defenses he's been in charge of or associated with. So I was thinking about something too, when, when Ashley mentions kind of that, you know, bringing in different viewpoints and with Brian Flores and Jim Schwartz, Mary Kay, I just, I think it's really good to bring someone into the building who isn't like necessarily tied to someone, right? They're, they're kind of coming in as like this rogue person in a sense into the building. Like I'm genuinely curious what, what impact is this going to have on like training camp? You know, you've talked about it guys sitting out and maybe not practicing. And I know some of that stems from the sports science stuff Then they're not going to just turn their backs on that. But I do wonder, is it going to be a little more like, Hey, you know, you're healthy. You're good. We, we need you on that field. You know, we've, we've got to kind of up things a little bit here in training camp, just little things like that. I wonder if it'll impact those. Yeah, I think it will impact everything, especially when, you know, he has his own way of doing things. And I think that uh, one of the important things to, to note about this is, you know, I've worked with a lot of, I've covered a lot of Bill Belichick disciples and, and a lot of guys that have spent their whole entire career with Bill Belichick. And Jim Schwartz hasn't spent his whole entire career with Bill Belichick. He has the Bill Belichick sort of influence and a foundation, but then he moved on and they were not together after those three years here. They did not work together. Uh, the guys that have spent their whole entire career under Bill Belichick, I don't know. Sometimes those guys, you know, sometimes those guys struggle a little bit when they try to branch out on their own. Um, not all of them, but I think there's something to be said for having the Belichick foundation, but not becoming him by osmosis, not spending so much time with him that you think you are him. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's so powerful and he's so, you know, like all knowing 
that guys that spend their whole entire career with him, sometimes it's just really hard to shake that and be yourself. And Jim Schwartz is just himself. Now, he does have a lot in common with uh, Bill Belichick. He really does. Got a lot in common with him. Uh, and these guys do have a tendency to, they're attracted to, from a, a work standpoint, guys that are sort of like them in some ways. I mean, Jim Schwartz has got the head banging music. Bill Belichick was like that. You know, they're very smart, you know, economics major uh, from Georgetown, could have gone on to Wall Street. We know a few other guys like that around here. Uh, so he's got the brain power to hang with the Harvards around this this place. Uh, he can do that. But, you know, by the same token, you know, he he's going to put his own stamp on it. Uh, he's also been, you know, he didn't just fall off the turnip truck. He's 56 years old. Nothing's going to intimidate him. He doesn't necessarily need the job. He doesn't need the money. Uh, so, you know, he can kind of do things his way. And I, I think that's what they need. Nobody's going to pull the wool over Jim Schwartz's eyes. He's going to be his own man. He's going to tell it like it is to whoever he needs to tell it like it is to. And, um, and I think it's a, a strength that they need at the position, just a really, really strong human being. Sort of an off-brand hire too, Ashley, kind of getting into what we were just talking about. Like, I, I mean, when you looked at the candidates, right? A guy like Sean Desai just screamed like, this is the yeah. type of coach young, upcoming, you know, seems pretty analytically driven. I'm not saying Jim Schwartz isn't. I actually saw a tweet today that he was one of the first coordinators that reached out to the the guys at Football Outsiders when they first mm -hmm. launched. So I'm not saying Jim Schwartz is like anti-analytics or anything, but you know, you're thinking a younger guy that that's like the on-brand hire. And, and this is yeah. like the off-brand hire. Yeah. Like it seems like to me in this Browns regime, like the two kinds of like on-brand hires are like either that, that wonderkin kind of hire that you're talking about. And we've seen that before, right. Where these younger guys maybe get their starts here, like Quasi Adolfo Mensa being a prime example in a front office of doing that or these guys that have some kind of prior connection. And like we said, Jim, Jim Schwartz doesn't have either, but I really, really do like think that that is needed. Again, I think I just want to see this with a different set of eyes on it more than anything. And somebody who maybe isn't going to have as many like preconceived notions about working with the staff or working with Kevin Stefanski or what the defense was like last year and what flew and what didn't like, I kind of want that fresh perspective, like more than anything, I think. So um, I do, I just kind of like, he's just seems to fit the bill in multiple areas, but like Dan, I don't like you wrote today. I think like it, it's kind of enough of like winning these press conferences and winning these hires, right? Like you have to, at some point it has to translate onto the field now. So I think that's really important here that, no one's getting ahead of themselves on Twitter or elsewhere about being super excited when, when we haven't seen anything on the field yet. It's it's also sort of because this was like the safe hire. Yeah. You know, this wasn't like a real risky. This was just sort of the safe. Ah, okay. Jim Schwartz. He's good at what he does. Let's see where this goes. Mary Kay, from a personnel standpoint, uh, you know, look, we knew coming into this, the Browns have, they needed to do something with that defensive tackle room. This seems to indicate that they're going to have to do that. That's going to become a priority. Um, folks are going to hear Lance talk about uh, some of the single high stuff that Jim Schwartz likes to play. And so you got to figure out, is John Johnson the right guy for that? Uh, what 
what's next, I guess, for this team personnel-wise? What do they need to focus on now that they, they have their coordinator and their scheme in place? Well, first, before I address that, I just wanted to say really quickly that I think this is important. Jim Schwartz spent one solid year in Philadelphia while Andrew Barry was there. They spent a year together there in 2019. And so Andrew Barry got to, got to know him, got to see how he worked. And I think that that was important uh, in where they landed right now. I think, I think that was a key part of this. They know what they're getting. The Browns organization, they know what uh, Jim Schwartz is all about, not just from his resume, not just from afar, but from a up close and personal look at what he does and how he does it. But from a personnel standpoint, um, you know, I think that, first of all, we know he traditionally runs a wide nine defense. So things might be a little bit different for Miles Garrett. So they're going to have to, you know, work on that and figure out how they want to handle that whole situation. Because, you know, as everyone knows, you know, you want Miles Garrett to be the superstar that he is. You want him to be showcased. You want his strengths uh, to be brought out and continually highlighted. So that will be one thing. We know that they need a number two edge. They need a number two edge um, because Jadavian obviously is going to be gone. And I don't know yet that you can count on getting sacks out of um, out of Alex Wright since he didn't have any this year. Maybe Jim Schwartz can find a way to unlock the sacker that Alex Wright can possibly be. We'll find out. Um, and then have to have, have to have that defensive tackle. You got to have the defensive tackle. They have to go find that guy. I would make it a priority. I would make it a big priority, uh, in this off season. I don't know if Dan, we talked about this on the ham cake pod. I don't know if Deron Payne from the commanders is going to make it to the market, but if he does, make it to the market. That just reminds me, we've been laughing about this at my house. My mother once said, your mother to my kids, your mother doesn't go to the market. But <laughs> we've been laughing about that just for some reason over the last couple of days here. So whenever I say market, I have post-traumatic stress. But anyways, so I digress. We're using some big words on this pod today, aren't Seriously, we? Seriously. <laughs> and I'm not the one using them, which is actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm the English major. Digress. Uh-huh. I had an English minor, Dan. I will okay. let you know. FYI. There you go. But anyways, so if a, if a guy like that gets to the market, I won't see him there, but if he gets to the market, then uh, you want to go after a guy like that. You want to throw a bunch of money after somebody like that, that can come in and uh, and really just make that impact in the middle of your defense from a number of standpoints, from a rushing standpoint from a stopping the run standpoint, and then having uh, just that residual impact on your linebackers, because you have to figure out what you're doing there. What if Jim Schwartz looks at the linebackers and thinks, you know, we need some bigger guys. Now they do have Sayoni Takitaki who can come back from his torn ACL and, you know, he's a good run stopper and not what you would consider a, a slider uh, hybrid type slash safety linebacker. Uh, but, you know, he might, look at that crew and think, you know, we need some bigger guys there. Look, you're trying to play against the uh, Baltimore Ravens in this division. So, um, so I think, you know, these are some things to look at. Uh, when, when you look in the back end, he's going to have to help decide what he thinks John Johnson three can do for this defense. Um, 
And if he thinks that the JJ three is, is the right kind of safety for this defense and has the versatility to do the things that he needs to do. I mean, I think JJ three does have all kinds of versatility that he didn't really get to show here over the last couple of years, but he does come with a $13.5 million cap hit for 2023. So they're going to have to decide, um, you know, if he is a, you know, price fit and a scheme fit and all of those things. And, you know, that's another thing. I just don't think that Jim Schwartz is going to be shy about evaluating the roster. In fact, he probably already gave them a pretty good evaluation during his interview of what he thinks the Browns have and what he thinks they need. And that, you know, that's why you really can't in this particular hire go with, you know, a super young guy, like, for instance, like a a Denard Wilson. Um, You know, you couldn't go with somebody that didn't have any experience calling a defense and wasn't necessarily going to be able to help you make some personnel decisions. I mean, we're talking about Jim Schwartz started his career here as a scout, as a scout. So, you know, he can help with all of that and he will. And so, you know, I just think you're getting a whole lot of uh, talent in terms of another pair of eyes on these guys. And then also the whole coaching piece. All right, there we go. Uh, Jim Schwartz, you will be hired as the new defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Maybe it'll be official by the time you hear this. I'm sure we'll hear from Jim here sometime soon as well in a press conference. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Also, uh, Lance Reisland is going to come up on the other side of the break. Uh, Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're happy to welcome on Lance Reisland on the day that the Browns uh, plan to hire Jim Schwartz as their new defensive coordinator. Lance, I know you've been doing a lot of work on these coordinators. Uh, where was Schwartz kind of on your list as, as far as who you liked for this team? From what they have with Stefanski, I thought it was very, very important because Stefanski is that offensive coordinator as a head coach. And he needed a guy who was a head coach, in my opinion, on the other side of the ball that can take care of all those daily activities in terms of uh, clock management, how they run practice. So he is the head coach. Everything runs through Stefanski, obviously. But in, if you're going to call plays, that amount of work during the week, he has to he has to be able to delegate that responsibility to someone else who has 13, 14 years of experience, head coaching experience. Uh, I think uh, Schwartz's scheme is going to be very good for the Browns. They have some things they need to work on. Uh, but I thought he's a pretty good fit for what the Browns. He's the most uh, reliable, safe pick for the Browns. Yeah, the head coaching experience part of it was was interesting to me because um, I, I just look at it like you know I remember when Sean McVay took that Rams job and he hired Wade Phillips and it was very much like I, I just hired a head coach for the defense. That's sort of what this feels like to me. Yeah, you know, and in terms of like the daily, so you're the, the day on game day, it's going to be Stefanski's call in terms of timeouts and punt and all that kind of stuff. But the daily grind of getting practice plans ready, getting scripts ready, how you're going to attack with a scouting report, looking ahead at the team, you're going to, you know, the red zone stuff and the third down stuff and the how you're going to do coming out and short yardage and third medium. That takes up Stefanski's time. He's the play caller. So all that, him and Van Pelt, that takes up all his time. He needs a, he needs a guy on the other side of the ball that's doing all that. And that guy will report to him and tell him what the plan is. But you got to have faith in that guy that he is taking – he is basically the head coach. He's the head coach of the defense. Everything runs through him. Uh, and that will make Stefanski's uh, brain a little bit less stressed on game day. Okay. When people hear the name Jim Schwartz, the first thing that pops in their mind is wide nine. So explain that. What 
What is the wide nine uh, that, that Jim Schwartz likes to run? Well, he's so those defensive ends. So the defensive ends for the Browns, if there's a tackle, it's going to actually be a wide five. And if it's a tight end, it's actually going to be a wide nine. So it's going to be just the alignment of that defensive end is going to be really wide on the last man on the line of scrimmage. And for a defensive coordinator, there's two ways you can look at defense, and there's two underlying principles. You're either a team that funnels everything inside or you're a team that spills everything to the sideline. And Schwartz is a guy who likes to funnel everything inside. So those defensive ends for the Browns are now going to be lined up wide, real wide of the last man on the line of scrimmage, uh, again, a wide nine or wide five, and they're going to funnel everything in. So they're going to be able to set the edge very well um, by alignment. And you're going to see some different stuff in terms of coverage, but that wide nine alignment, you're just going to see those ends in sprinter stances. They're going to be down, and they're just going to be getting upfield, uh, not allowing teams to get to the edge. And and just, you know, for people who are listening to this and wondering about, you know, the numbers system, things like that, um, it starts at nose tackle. If you're over the nose tackle, that's zero. And then you start to count out, right? So if you're in between the, the center and the guard, you're at one. If you're on the guard, you're at two. If you're in between the guard and the tackle, you're at three. Tackle, you're, right? That's that's how that's how you kind of count that out. Yeah, you know it's weird. There's always there's some different uh, right ways to do it for the but for the most part, yeah. The the everything is head up is an even number. So two four six is a head up. So you have a head up on the guard would be a two. Uh, like you said, a head up on the um, center would be a zero. Head up on the tackle would be a four. Head up on the tight end would be a six. Uh, outside eye is going to be a three and a five. Inside of the guard is going to be a two eye. Inside the tackle is going to be a four eye. And then in some weird, weird, uh, weird world, uh, the tight end is always the weird one. So head up on the tight end is a six. <laughs> Inside the tight end is a seven. Outside the tight end is a nine. Um, so that's the one that really doesn't make sense. Uh, I heard a lot of podcasts. I actually heard the uh, Kelsey brothers talking about it one time in their podcast. It's just a weird thing that has been around forever. But yeah, as you're moving out. You know, you get the, and then obviously that wide five outside the tackle and that wide nine outside the tight end. Okay. So the first question here, then, when we talk about where guys align is how does this affect Miles Garrett? Well, once again, you know, I'm I'm doing some research. I really believe his defense magnifies the strengths of the Browns roster, and I think it magnifies the weaknesses. So the strength of what it does, he he does a great job of creating one-on-ones for his defensive tackles and his defensive ends. So he's going to do stuff like where he's going to get the the guard is going to be uh, head up. Well, the I'm sorry, the defensive tackle is going to be outside the guard. So he's going to be in a wide three. And then that um, the, the DN will be in a wide five or wide nine, similar to what they did this year. But what he does is that he shows linebackers in gaps, and he's going to create one-on-ones for mile because of the width of those guys. The other thing, however, the disadvantage of that is that a lot of times that offensive tackle is not going to be covered. And when that offensive tackle is not covered, he has free reign to get to that defensive tackle and free reign to get to that second level. So we used to use the term heavy where you're going to try to split. You're you're going to take that foot and you're going to split right down the middle of that uh, offensive tackle. So he can't have free reign and just go hammer your defensive tackle. So it puts a lot more pressure on a position group that you and I both know needs some work here in the offseason. So it, it's going to magnify his ability to pass rush, and it's also going to magnify the difficulties that those defensive tackles are having. So, of course, the, the issue of personnel is, is going to come up. Can the defensive tackles the Browns have now, will this make them better? It sure doesn't sound like it. Will this make them better? Is this just like kind of what we've thought all season? They're just going to have to remake that position. 
I don't think it helps them at all. Now, in uh, a perfect world, some of these guys I think can be third down guys, nickel guys come in and nickel pass rush. I do think it helps them with their pass rush. But on that first and second down, heavy rundowns, I do not think it helps them at all. In fact, this scheme is actually worse than the scheme that just got out of because there is no protection from that defensive end. That defensive end, we used to always say, get your hands on that offensive tackle. Why do you get your hands on the offensive tackle? So he can't run free to that defensive tackle and create that easy double team with that guard. And when you get those easy double teams, so now he can get an easy double team and that big tackle now doesn't have to worry about anything if he's right to the second level. So if that defensive tackle is lined up inside the guard, the defensive tackle doesn't even need to help. And if that defensive end is in a wide five or a wide nine, now that tackle can run right to those undersized linebackers. So I do not think they're going to need some, they're going to need to get some beef in there. You know, everything we've talked about over the last three or four months, they have to improve um, the style of defensive tackle inside. What about the linebackers? Because because you mentioned um, it, it seems like this this scheme exposes linebackers a little more to the offensive linemen. So and, am I wrong about that, first of all? And secondly, if that's the case, are the Browns linebackers big enough for this scheme? It's going to be, you know, the thing is, if they can get some big defensive uh, tackles, it will help because that will occupy some of those guys because they won't be able to get off on those double teams so easily. Um, I do think these guys can run really, really well uh, sideline to sideline. They're almost schematically, they're almost like I talked about the spill where they're going to, everything is going to run sideline to sideline. If they're going to stick with the linebackers they have, they're going to need to make sure those defensive tackles are adjusted. And they're also going to need to adjust on first and second down um, that wide nine technique a little bit. They're going to have to close that down if they don't improve that defensive tackle room. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it does. Those deep, those linebackers this day and age running sideline to sideline, if they can get if they can get some big guys inside, they'll be fine. So, so I was looking at, you know, this morning, just looking at some of Schwartz's uh, kind of some of the raw stats of his defenses. And I, I know that when he got to Philly, what he did to that defense was really – it's a big reason why they won that Super Bowl in 2017 – um, and the run defense was really good. The past defenses have sort of been middle of the road here and there, but the run defense has been really good. I mean, is this, how does this scheme, I guess, sort of help the run defense? I mean, you've talked about it a little bit, but like, how does it change this run defense? Well, with different personnel or adjustments in personnel, it's going to help. I mean, bottom line is without better personnel inside, it doesn't matter the scheme. And I will stick by that. It doesn't matter what the scheme is. If those guys get blown off the ball, uh, it will not matter. Uh, when, you know, when you're talking about when he was with the Titans, he had Hainsworth. When he's with uh, Philly, he had Fletcher Cox. So you're talking about grown men in there that are able to take on double teams and pass rush, kind of like a Deron Payne, a little bit of both. Uh, they at least need to get guys that can take on doubles. Uh, I think those guys were good against the run because he, they're very fundamentally sound. So they're going to do – they're going to funnel everything inside, and then those guys, defensive tackles, should be occupying um, those double teams. And then what Schwartz does is that he likes to play with one high hat. So I think the guy that can uh, be the most productive in this new scheme is going to be Delpit because Delpit's going to be down in that box a lot because he likes to play one high hat – and have those safeties and linebackers run in the alley and make those tackles as those defensive ends set the edge. Oh, well, that, I mean, that's certainly good news there for, for Grant Delpit, who finished strong this year, uh, to give him an opportunity to maybe thrive in, in this defense. So let's talk about the secondary. What, what can Browns fans expect now from the secondary under Jim Schwartz? 
Well, they, you know, they're going to get exactly what a lot of people have been talking about. He's going to play a lot of man coverage. They're going to be in one high hat. Uh, they're going to be in cover one, like I said, with those safeties, um, with those corners, uh, pressing the line of scrimmage. They're going to be, um, Grant Delpit's going to be down in the box a lot, especially when you get a tight end look. So if they're going to be in that wide nine, that gap between the guard, I'm sorry, between the tackle and tight end, now the wide nine is kind of unprotected. And obviously when you have a tight end, it's more of a run set. So Delpit will be down in that C gap being a run fit guy along with those other linebackers when they have a true tight end set in there. Uh, they're going to be in uh, something called a pattern match cover three, which goes back to way back to when with the Saban uh, Belichick days where they kind of came up with this uh, Rip and Liz that uh, Saban's been famous for uh, at Alabama where they're going to play a match uh, kind of cover three where they're going to pattern match and read routes. So it, I, it's worrisome at times because of the Browns' communication, but they're also going to be a lot of that pattern match is man coverage. So most of the time, a guy like Ward, who we, you would think is their best corner, majority of the time Ward's going to be on the best guy and he's going to be in press man coverage by himself. And that's going to happen a lot in this defense. And there's going to be no – he's going to follow the best guy. He's going to take him no matter, no matter where he goes. And then they're going to pattern match on the other side. And they're going to ma- – you know, whatever the route combinations are, it's a pretty complex yet simple kind of scheme. Um, but a lot of it is there's going to be one safety. Um, they're going to need to get a safety, whether it's John Johnson, whoever it is. That's free safety now needs to become a, a center fielder. And he's got to make plays over the top and be able to cover from sideline to sideline. Um, but they're going to see what they want. They're going to see a lot of man coverage. You're going to see a lot of one high hat. Uh, if that team's in a run set, they're going to be packing the box. Uh, it's aggressive. Those corners are going to be in uh, receivers' faces. They try to adjust, uh, route adjust a lot. So it's going to be aggressive on the edges for sure. Okay, so, you know, you mentioned the communication stuff. And, you know, one of the first thoughts I had today is Jim Schwartz is coming in, and he's been doing this for a long time. And to me, aside from scheme, aside from all that stuff, <clears throat> Like, this is Jim Schwartz. The communication stuff, he's going to get that cleaned up. The discipline stuff, he's going to get that cleaned up. That's a part of this too, right? Oh, there's no question. Having that head coach type of mentality, that's absolutely right. And you said at the beginning of the pod here, it's he's going to handle all that stuff, that day-to-day routine in terms of getting lined up, their practice habits, their attention to detail, lining up, formation recognition, all that stuff that no one sees on a daily basis. So, you know, a guy like Schwartz is going to come out and they're going to go over every formation and they're going to, and a lot of those guys do that. But when you have a guy who has been proven, I mean, he's a Super Bowl winner. So he's going to, he has that track record and that background where they're going to do a lot of boring stuff and a lot of stuff that's attention to detail. And a lot of stuff is the do your job, the Bill Belichick of kind of, you have a role, star in your role. Uh, in some defenses, you're going to thrive. In other defenses, you're going to have you're going to allow other people to thrive. But everybody has a job to do. Um, he's a big matchup guy, so he's going to find matchups for the Browns' best players. Garrett to the second level, whatever it may be. Uh, JOK is uh, going to come on more blitzes. There's going to be things that um, he is a players' coach. But when I think of a players' coach, I don't think of a guy everybody likes. I think of a guy that puts people in positions to make plays. That's what players like. Players don't want to be friends with coaches. Players want to be able to go make plays and play fast. And that's what I used to always tell my coaches is that you don't have to be their best friend. You have to be able to put them in positions to make plays. And at that level, those are grown men. 
So those guys don't, they don't really, they're not hanging out. They want to be, they want to know that what they're doing is sound and it allows them to make plays. And that's what his track record is. So I, I'm, I'm excited for that second level for sure. Yeah. yeah. Miles Garrett doesn't need more friends. What Miles Garrett wants is 20 sacks. That's yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> that's he, what he you, wants. You constantly hear him talk. Yeah. You constantly hear about Miles talking about getting doubled all the time. Well, schematically, there Jim Schwartz is going to do a fantastic job of creating a one-on-one opportunity, bringing three over two uh, over on that uh, on that side, or four over three, or getting uh, knowing where the slide in the protection is going, and getting make sure Miles is away from the slide, and making sure Miles is getting the one-on-ones um, that he that will make him be successful. Schwartz is known for that. He's going to create one-on-one matchups up front without question. Okay, last question here. Um, we're going to put on the GM hat. We know that the Browns need defensive tackles, so that's number one. What's number two now that they know who their defensive coordinator is? What's number two on your list for uh, for position of need? Well, this is twofold. So one is if they get those defensive tackles, then I think the linebackers are okay. If they don't get the defensive linebackers, the defensive tackles with size, they're going to have to get a thumper inside, especially on first and second down. Maybe it's a guy who's just a first and second down linebacker. Raglan's kind of that guy, that big thumper tackle to tackle, a guy who's not a sideline to sideline guy. But I think they will address it. So for me, I would say their their pressing need in this one hi-hat safety is a guy who is a center fielder at the back end, a guy who can go sideline to sideline. He's going to be a guy who double teams guys. He's going to be a guy who um, understands the formation and the routes that come out of that formation, a guy who watches a ton of film, a guy who's got tremendous speed and length who can kind of get under, uh, you know, fades to the, you know, get out, get off one hash and get to a fade on the other hash. Uh, that guy's got to be a center fielder and a playmaker because I think they feel, and I think the Browns going to next year with this scheme, their number one thing they have in the scheme is Miles is going to get one-on-one and their corners can cover in man. And so for me, it would be that ball hawking, find the ball, free safety would be my second after the DTs. Oh, a distant second, a way distant second after those DTs. But I, it would definitely be that ball hawking free. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm not, Lance has been texting me defensive tackles uh, even before <laughs> even before this uh, this hire. So he's he's been on the, the defensive tackle beat here for a little while. And I know you've put some stuff up uh, on the website for that too. You can find it all on Twitter. Uh, if you find Lance on Twitter, it's just at Lance Reisland, R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. Uh, he's got some stuff on the defensive tackles there as well. Lance, uh, I appreciate you doing this on short notice. It was good stuff. Thanks for the time. As always, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks to Lance Reisland for joining us to break down Jim Schwartz's scheme. We'll have full coverage of the Jim Schwartz hire at cleveland.com slash brown, so make sure you check that out. Also, become a Football Insider subscriber. You get a newsletter delivered every single day to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our tech subscribers. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star review and say something nice about us. We like to read that stuff. For Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, and Lance Reisland, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>